0: Suppose there is no greater wish, no greater plan than to be wholly lost in our God, and our Savior, both in terms of this life, wherein everything that we do and say has a bearing on the spiritual things, or the spiritual things have a bearing on us, and then certainly in eternity— when we are wholly lost in God. And we'll look around and we'll see each other. I suppose if we recognize one another, we may not even think about that. We'll be so wholly focused on him at that moment. But we're here today as Brother Brian started us out this morning as friends and brethren who are saints, as members of the Lord's Church, dedicated to doing what the Lord has asked us to do. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to spend a significant time in the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 16 in just a moment or two as we ponder for just a few moments today about the idea of saints in the Bible and five particular lessons for us. And I'll give you a little bit of a uh, survey into where we're going in just a moment. Thank you for being here. As uh, Brother Brian pointed out, there are a lot of places that you could be this morning. But you've chosen to be here, and whether you are a young person or a little bit older, whether you're a man or woman, whether you're very busy, or whether you're in retirement, uh, whatever state of life you're in, you've chosen to be here, and for that we are very, very grateful. When you think about saints, and you think about the word saint or saints, a lot of images, words, or thoughts may very well come to mind. When you think about the world and saints, for example, you may see an old picture of someone who's being glorified with a ring around their head, the idea of almost being an angelic figure. Uh, Perhaps the most famous even in the lifetime of uh, us, of someone being called a saint, is someone by the name of Teresa that we are familiar with, or at least those of us that are a little bit older were alive during her lifetime. Uh, You have pictures of St. Augustine, one of the famous uh, individuals that lived years ago. Or some of you may have your mind on something totally different. Uh, Now that the NFL is over for the year, you may be thinking about teams. And of course, one of our teams in the United States is the New Orleans Saints, And so the fact of the matter is, is we're going to talk about not what all those images are, but about what the Bible says about saints. And to give away a point that I'm going to make here in just a moment or so, in that I'm talking to saints who are gathered here today. And that makes a difference in terms of how we are living in terms of our life to our God. The term saint or saints uh, are used about 95 to 100 times in the New King James Version of the Bible and in most other versions of the Bible. And I thought that this was interesting. You would think that the word is used more frequently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament, at least that would have been my guess out of the Wild blue, and maybe you'd say, "No, Leland, you're not that smart." I would have gotten it right, but the matter of fact is, is that one third of the occasions are in the Old Testament, almost to the number statistically, and two thirds in the New Testament. Now, it is most frequently a term that is used in the Book of Psalms, which is why we're going to look at the Book of Psalms and in the Book of Revelation, and that probably makes sense to us as well for various reasons. And so what we're going to do today is to study the way that the word is used, the implications it has for us, and again, giving away one of the key points that we're going to make here in just a moment, and that is this applies to us, not just to people who've been dead for 100 or 200 or 300 or 400 or 500 years Uh, going back into the past. And so I want to look at five lessons for us today. And the first of those is this big one that we need to establish at the outset, and that is saints are real and they are living. I remember about 24, 25 years ago that uh, in my freshman year of college, that I was talking with a friend of mine who was not a member of the church, uh, but came from a denominational background, and something was in the news about so-and-so was about to be called into sainthood, or about to be called a saint. And then I, with all the wisdom of an 18 and 19-year-old, said, Well, I'm a saint, too. He looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I pointed him to passages that uh, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or virtually any of the epistles in chapters 1, verses 1 and 2 where the word saint or saints are used. Rather than servants of the Lord who died hundreds of years ago, this term of a saint is used to describe real living Christians who are alive. I remember I made this point once. To uh, a congregation where I preached for a number of years, and there was a man by the name of Nick, and his wife's name was Carol, and he introduced himself as Hi, I'm Saint Nick, and this is my wife Carol. (laughs) And he he was right about that. (laughs) But we are saints. I'm speaking very largely to a group, or to a group largely made up of saints. Now, the very last point that we're going to make in our series of five together today is that we've got to be cautious with how we approach that with a world that has a different view of sainthood or saints or deification. But we as living Christians who are alive, who are here today, are saints. And I know that from a number of different passages. I made reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, which is one of about a half a dozen different places where the apostles. Apostle Paul employs the word saints. He said, those of you that are set apart, are those of you that are sanctified, called to be saints, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. But I want to look at three passages, all in the book of Psalms, which we've already established is the large book, not the largest book, not just the largest book in the Bible in terms of its length, but also one that has the most usages of the term saint or saints. And let's go back to Psalm 16, and I want to read. Just a couple of verses here. We're going to look at three major verses in different Psalms, but I want to look at their context just a little bit more broadly as we study together today. So, here in Psalm 16, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints, and if you want to mark this whenever you have a discussion with someone who believes that saints are only dead people, he says, saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to people who are alive and to people who are breathing and to people who are moving about. And the same is true with Psalm 16 here in verse 3. Jump over to the 50th Psalm, and there are numerous places that we could choose to go to, but in Psalm 50, drop down to about verse 4. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that that he may judge his people. If you want to underline the word people and draw an arrow down to verse 5, gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. We are those very people. Now, the form of sacrifice that we may be making is slightly different. Uh, We are now 3,000 Years past the writing of the 50th psalm, give or take a few, and, but we still make a covenant with our God, which makes us to be real living saints. And in Psalm 116, a verse that every preacher memorizes, especially when it's time for uh, a funeral or he's trying to give some sort of comfort to those uh, who uh, have said goodbye to one that they are going to miss. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So the Bible does not say you die and then X number of years later, you become a saint. So that's the first major point that we're trying to make today. And that's the point that I was attempting to make, though maybe a little bit brash, some 24 or 25 years ago at the age of 18 or 19. But the fact of the matter is, is you and I are individuals who are saints. Thank you for being a saint. But the thing is, is what we typically do is we not only think about saints as being people who've been dead for a number of years, we also think about saints as being individuals who are perfect. We will say, well, well, she's just a saint, or he's just a saint. And the idea being they never make a mistake. Well, we know that that's impossible, save the Lord Jesus himself, who never made a mistake, never had an error, and never uh, sinned in any form or fashion. But saints are real and living today. And so we don't have to wait until we are dead to be called a saint. We can wear that very precious title even today. The second observation that I want us to make is that as Christians, as members of the Lord's church, and as saints, we are required to sacrifice. I have said many, many times that God, when he advertises service to him, that he does so with clear, bold print, 24-point font, you are going to sacrifice and or suffer and or have serious difficulties as a result of service to me. Go back and read First Peter and you'll see that suffering and sainthood go together hand in hand. We should acknowledge the fact that we are in a fight against Satan. And I say that because the sacrifice that we make and the war in which we are engaged is one that Satan targets us once we become saints. I've often thought about the fact that if you are not a saint slash Christian slash member of the church slash uh, child of God, if you're not one of those things and they're all synonymous with one another, Satan says, good. You've made my life a whole lot easier. I don't have to target you. All I have to do is to keep you from becoming a child of God. But rather, once we become a saint, a baptized believer, a child of God, a member of the Lord's church, Satan says, I'm going to be after you day after day, and I will dog you day after day to destroy you, to get you to quit your faithful service to God and give up on your fidelity to him. Look, if you would, all the way back in the Old Testament prophet, the book of Daniel. Turn, if you would, to the book of Daniel chapter 7. I had never really thought about Daniel chapter 7 in this light until uh, a week or so ago. and preparing for this particular lesson. I've taught the book of Daniel a number of times. Uh, the book of Daniel is, as you may very well know, 12 chapters. And generally speaking, what we can be guilty of Uh, is studying the first six chapters and forgetting the last six chapters. Because the first six are the familiar stories and the things that kind of stand out and are easy to understand. Last six are a little bit more challenging, though they come with great important lessons. And one of those is here in chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, where it says, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints. And he says, and prevailing against them, until the ancient days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Three different times the word there is used, and it's not the last time that it's going to be used in this context. Drop down to about verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and law, and the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Our study today is not to uh, develop all of those concepts. And there may be some healthy disagreement, even among the saints who are here today, as to exactly what Daniel was talking about. But simply put, this is a passage among others that reminds us that we are engaged in a war. Now, Paul would say to the church at Ephesus that our weapons are not developed or designed for carnal warfare. Uh, We do not uh, baptize someone and then say, well, here's your shield and here's your sword. We may very well say, here's a Bible that you're going to need going forward, your sword. And the breastplate of righteousness as outlined in Ephesians chapter 6. But we do not give physical weapons to one another. Because that's not the fight in which we are engaged. Turn over if you would to the last book of the New Testament. The book of Revelation chapter 16. You'll find one of the last references to the story of saints. As found in the Bible. And it says for they have shed the blood. This is chapter 16 and verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, the context here is one of victory for a saint. Someone once said that you can really kind of boil down the subject of Revelation to the idea of victory over evil. And while that's true, that we don't want to limit ourselves to only thinking about the book in those simplistic of terms, but the point that I'm trying to make is this, that we need to understand that there are sacrifices associated and there is a fight involved for those of us that are saints. So here's a thought question, and uh, if I was doing this in a small class environment, those of you in the uh, college class know that I like to have you write things down, and then we kind of develop them and read them. Uh, We're not going to do that right now, but seriously consider what sacrifice might be required of you personally because you are a saint. Your mind may go to your job place, Your mind may go to a family relationship. Your mind may go to a friendship that you once treasured, but now you no longer have because you know that evil company corrupts good morals, as Paul would write to the church at Corinth. And so you had to kind of back off of that friendship because it was a bad influence on you. I sat there a few days ago as I was preparing this, and I thought about a couple of things that for me, if you want to talk to me personally, I can share with you some things that, Uh, maybe aren't going to happen in my life or didn't happen because of faith. And I know that each and every one of us can go about saying, yeah, I think about that job 10 years ago. I think about that friendship five years ago. Or I think about that family relationship just in the last year that's been kind of strained because of my faith and because of the fact that I'm a saint. I know that there are members who are here this morning who who are saints, who have made difficult choices because of their faith and have put themselves in tough positions because of the fact that they are saints. Number three, we need to appreciate that saints have full allegiance and trust to the Lord and in the Lord. So here's another thought question How much do you trust the Lord? And we would also say, well, I trust the Lord. I, he's going to do anything for me, He's going to provide for me. No, really, how much do you trust God? And I've got to ask myself that question. I often say that I write sermons based on the things that I need because the things that I need are the things that I assume others need as well. But it's easy to say, I trust the Lord. But it's hard to say, I trust the Lord, and to put that into practice when push comes to shove, when difficult days come. God is the one who advertises that service to Him comes with a sacrifice and that we need to fully trust Him. In Scripture, we as saints, both Old Testament, New Testament, and now post New Testament, are described as fully trusting him, and that's what great followers of God have done. Look, if you would, at three passages. Again, two in the book of Psalms, and one, uh, one in the book of Psalms, one in the book of Proverbs, and one in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Go over to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is where our scripture reading was from, and I appreciate Chris doing such a nice job of reading those particular verses there. Um, I was told that I was picking on some that were a little bit uh, more aged uh, because I chose 37. If you go back to verse 25, um, it says, I have been young and now I am old. And so one of our members, who himself is not aged, uh, came to me and said, why are you picking on us who are, who are older? But drop down to verse 28, which is where you really see what is being said here, where uh, we're really focusing. The Lord loves justice. He does not forsake justice his saints, they are preserved forever and the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. And we might say, well, that's a beautiful verse. Well, it is a beautiful verse, and I'm not saying it's not, but it's more than just, oh, it's a beautiful verse. That is a verse, a passage, a, uh, the wording that came from the Holy Spirit himself that tells us that we can fully trust God. But you don't understand, preacher, my job situation, trust God the Lord. You don't understand my family dynamics. Trust the Lord. You don't understand what I'm up against with some of my friends and the influence that they're trying to have on me. Fully trust the Lord. Similarly, over in the book of Proverbs chapter two, early on in Solomon's lengthy collection of statements that help us to understand what is, uh, What it's like to serve our God. He guards the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his saints. Who's doing that? Our Lord is doing that. God guards us and he preserves us. We grew up, at least I did, with guiding, guarding, and protecting. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not in vain. But maybe we can also insert into our prayers, both privately and publicly, that he preserves us, he keeps us safe, and he provides for us. And then the third passage here is one that is found in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18. And Ephesians 3 and verse 18 Paul writes, and he uses the term saint a number of times. Go ahead and read Ephesians chapter three on your own time sometime this week. But here in chapter three and verse 18, that he, go back to verse 12. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height so as to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a, again, beautiful passage, but what a perfect reminder of the fact that saints are protected by God. You say, wait a minute, I've I've known a lot of Christians who have suffered physically, uh, who've gone through financial challenges. That's true but God will provide and protect and preserve in a way that is superior to anything that anybody on this earth can provide or otherwise afford. Let me suggest to you, fourthly, before we wrap up our study, that saints are important in that we are bound by a common doctrine. Incidentally, that in and of itself may be a controversial statement. The the, the word doctrine in some religious circles, even in some of the more conservative religious circles, is sometimes a no-no word. People say, well, tell me about Jesus, tell me about his life, tell me about his miracles and tell me about his love, but don't tell me about anything that I need to do in order to change my life. I appreciate that we began this morning, it's kind of worked its way into a thread of uh, thoughts that Brother David uh, led us in prayer, thinking about God's word as being a mirror, through which we see how we are to conduct ourselves, and we compare ourselves to God's word, the mirror. You cannot say, I want the man, but I don't want the plan. You got to have Jesus the Christ and you've got to have the plan that as brother David prayed for or prayed about earlier, we are thankful for as well. The doctrine of Christ, the teachings of Jesus are central and they are binding for saints. We could spend a good 15 minutes just on this. Let's look at three, four, five passages here in the course of five or six minutes. The first of those is near the very end of the New Testament. We're going to go out of order and look at the book of Jude. The book of Jude is a short little book, and it has so many different treasures within it. And one of those is verse 3 where it says, Beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, if you want to underline common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You may say the word doctrine is not there, but the word faith is there. And one of the things that we've talked about from this pulpit and other places, David actually talked about it just, I think, two weeks ago, is that there's faith and there's faith. We have faith in the faith. And as members of the faith, we have faith. say, well, he's doing double talk. He's going crazy. No, we have faith in the faith, the doctrine. There was a book written a number of years ago by a brother in Christ, that little workbook called Faith on the Faith. And the whole point of it was the fact that we have an obedience and a trust in the doctrine of Jesus Christ which binds us together. In fact, verse 3 here of Jude's little book says it is our common doctrine or common salvation. Go back to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 4. Colossians chapter 1 And in verse four, incidentally, if you look at verse two, you'll find a word that has been central to our study where Paul says, to the saints. So he says to the saints, he says, "'We give thanks to the God and the Father "'of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you "'since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus "'and of your love for all the saints.'" Paul says, I've heard about your faith. I've heard about the doctrine that you ascribe to. And by the way, you are saints. He uses the term twice in the course of two different verses. There, verses two and four. And so we need to understand that there is a doctrine that binds us together. We are identified with it. And we make no apologies for the fact that we believe this book to be real. Uh, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago that uh, we're not gonna do it, but if we were to say everyone stand up who believes that the Bible is really inspired, I'm, I'm convinced that we would all stand up And say, yes, we believe that this is inspired. This is a book of faith. This is the book of doctrine that binds us together. Drop back just a couple of pages, maybe four or five in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And chapter 1 and verse 15 where it says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith... In the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. A very similar kind of statement made to the church at Colossae. Incidentally, you could, if you wanted to, summarize chapter 1 verse 15 by saying, I heard of your faith in the faith. Because that's the same thing that he's talking about here. Or over in the book of Revelation, very late in the New Testament, in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, where there John records this. And he says, Another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. You say this may not be talking about doctrine, and I, I understand that, but it is talking about the commonality that we share and the prayers that we engage in with one another. It is one of the most splendid privileges for us as Christians that we come together and we communally pray in the way that we do. That is a, a marvelous activity. When we pray on behalf of those who are sick, James chapter 5. When we pray on behalf of those who are lost, James chapter 5 again. When we pray on behalf of those who may have challenges that we don't even know of, that is certainly a good thing for us to be bound together as saints. And incidentally, prayer is reserved for those of us who are saints. And it is a privilege for those of us who are saints in the kingdom of our God. And that brings us to our final verse here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. In Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Guess what? The word testimony there you could underline and just write out to the side, Doctrine or faith, because that's exactly what we believe. We believe in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Doctrine is one of those fancy words for teaching. The two are synonymous with each other. And we appreciate the fact that we are bound together by a common doctrine that makes us special in God's service. That brings us to our fifth and our final point, the one that I hinted at very early on in our study this morning, and that is saints means that we've got to be humble. Because we've got to be cautious in the sense that a world that is filled with people who look at the concept of sainthood or being saints as being special or perfect or without any sort of self-reflection, one could abuse this notion of being a saint and say, well, look at me, I'm a saint. I'm special. Nothing wrong with saying that I'm, that I'm a saint or that I'm special, but we certainly must encase that with a healthy dose of humility and the spirit of humility that is found within the pages of both the Old and the New Testament. I want to close with these two final passages and then make our final point today. One of those is in the book of Ephesians. Again, back to chapter 3. and chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says to me, Talking about himself, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul here says, I am the least of the saints. He would furthermore write that he was the chief of sinners in his letter to Timothy. And in chapter 15, Verse 19, or verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, he would say, I'm the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because of the persecution that I did against the church of God. The point that I'm making simply is this we are saints and we are special and we are important and you are important, but we are never as important as we may think we are. We've always got to remember that God is more powerful. God is more important. And God matters more. I conclude this morning with just this simple question. Are you a saint? And your answer may be different now that we've spent a half an hour studying the concept of a saint. There is no apology, as long as humility is a part of the answer, with saying, yes, I'm a saint. And you are a saint if you are a child of God, because you can be today. As we said in our study, it will come with a cost that we have to bear, but it is certainly well worth it. And I think that each and every saint, and we've got approximately probably 140 saints present this morning, give or take a few. And if I were to poll all of you individually or give you that scrap piece of paper and say, is it worth it to be a saint? You would all say emphatically, absolutely. If I were to also give you a piece of paper and say, have there been costs associated with being a saint? You would all say, yep. There's been things that I've had to endure, difficulties that I've had to face, and costs that I've had to bear. But it's well worth it. You would all say that. And to those of you that are not Christians, to those of you that are not saints, we are hoping that this morning that you'll say, I need to become a saint because of all the privileges associated with it, because of the commonality that you share, because of the prayerfulness in which we engage, and because of the hope that is laid up for saints. These are the things that we wanted to present today. And thank you for being such good listeners. And we hope that this morning, if there's at least one, maybe even more, that need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ that you do so and you'll become a saint. Or if you are already a child of God, you're already a saint, but you need to make some sort of correction and change direction in your life, we'd welcome the opportunity to help you. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.